talking with someone on the phone and they want to give you a phone number and you have to do that age-old thing where you get a pen and paper and have to write the phone number down. And, and, and then they start giving you the phone number and you have to say, wait, 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 I didn't get that. Because they're spouting off the number as if they, you should just know it, right? Or for me, we have an 865 area code. So when I start our phone number, 865, and then I give the next three numbers, oh, 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 you know, and then they have to backtrack because, you know, it's not 252. And so that, that happens when people are given the phone number way too quick. And I, it takes me forever to write down a phone number or someone spells something. So in our home, you know how in some homes parents will spell words so that the kids can't understand you know, what's being said? Well, in our home, what would often happen is it would take so long for me to get the word that Tess would just give up. Like, it doesn't matter, and she'd just blurt it out. And it, it was just easier to deal with the ramifications of the kid hearing the word than just trying to get me to know how to spell the word. Um, and because and, I just, it took me so long to piece together the num- letters. I had to go real slow. Or maybe you remember having this experience. We'll show you a picture. Do you remember these? Yes. I remember I remember these in our home. And someone would leave a message. I think I think Tess is telling Ethan what that is. Hold on. It's just it's okay. Um, it's an answering machine. That was I'm not gonna go through it. It's an answering machine. Look it up. Um, so um, so what we what we do is that there'd be a message and then you'd push play and then if the person leaving the message gave the phone number too fast and never gave it again, what would you have to do? You'd have to rewind and hope you rewound to the right place or you have to listen to that phone number over and over and over again. And for people like me, I remember because sometimes it was my job, I had to write that phone number down. I'd have to rewind four or five times. And then I'd miss the spot. It was like when you had VHS and you had to rewind and you, you'd miss it or you'd fast forward and you'd miss it. These things, people to slow, go slow. Give your phone number slowly. That's all to say that the reason that we've been walking through First Peter so slow. You like the transition? That was it. That, all of that was to say that sentence. Yes. Felt good. I've been looking forward to it all week. We've been walking through First Peter so slow because if we move too quickly, it's gonna we're gonna miss things. It's gonna be like missing numbers in a phone number. So we need to just walk really slow because when you walk slow through Scripture, you're gonna pick up things, things that are inspired. They're holy. There's a reason they're in the Bible. But we need to walk slowly so we make sure we pick them all up. Now, sometimes we, you, you, you study Scripture and you get big principles, big themes. But for our time in First Peter, we're walking very slowly. I don't want to miss a thing. So, for example, we could have studied verses 12 through 19 and saw one big picture in verses 12 through 19. But instead, we slowed it down. And we were able to spend a few weeks just on a couple things. For example, verse 13, we saw this that we were supposed to be preparing our minds for action. And as we did that, we set our hope on the grace God will bring when Christ returns. And we were able just to settle in right there and talk about the grace that's coming and how we need to fix the mind on the hope of that grace. And we had some, some very concrete application for that. And then in verse 14 through 16, we were able to dig in on what it, would, what it means to be holy as God is holy. 
And we'll just settle into that. So much so that this week, every, every day at 5.30, if you're on our text messaging service, reading Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 6. Really thinking on, considering the holiness of God. And what that, what that actually looks like in Scripture. And then as you're reading it in ordinary life, it may actually begin to help you live out ordinary life in a way that, that, that helps us to live holy like He is holy. So our minds were on His holiness. And so we just settled in there. We would have missed that if we would have just been blazing speed through First Peter. But we just settle in and we go slow. So this morning we're going to do the same thing. We're going to take on two verses. And we're just going to take on, uh, we're going to do it in two parts. We're going to look at verse 17 first. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 17. So this is, uh, this is coming on the heels of him telling to set, set their minds on the hope of the grace that will come and to be holy as God is holy. comes in then to verse 17. Since you call on, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And we're just going to stop right there. That's where we'll stop for, for this, this section. Because we want to dig on that verse. There's some things we don't want to miss there. The first part is something we should catch. Since you call on a father. So here again, Peter brings up the father-child relationship. And he starts with a presumption. It's the presumption that these Christians are... Praying to the Father. That is, a people who are calling out to their God and Father. It's quite the presumption. But it's a key piece of what it means to be a child of God. That we are a people that are calling out to God regularly. Because we don't have all the resources inside of ourselves to live a good life. We need to call on our Father. So that's just this, that's just this presumption that this is, this is what they're doing. And it's a key feature. When the Spirit of God comes into the life of a person, the, the Christian begins to call out to God their Father. I just want to show you one scripture tied into this. This is like a key thing throughout the New Testament. We'll just pick this one passage. Galatians 4, verse 6 through 7a. I'm using the New Living Translation here to get the sense uh, that what Paul's saying. Because we are His children... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. Now just keep, just lock this in. So Paul, Peter starts with the presumption that these are a people that are calling out to their Father. It's an intimate relationship. We are a people who need help and we need to be known by our Creator. And for both Paul and Peter and even Jesus tells us to start the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. So key feature being a child of God is you recognize Father. We do His We're calling out to Him. Okay, so as, as we as Christians are calling out to Him, as children to our Father, Peter now wants to tell them to do something. So now we got another command. The third command in this section here. Verse 17, he gives them a command. Here's what he says. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Okay, lot there. Now you notice right off, right off the bat, he's picking up again 
with their status as foreigners. Remember how he starts the letter? He actually starts out the letter by calling them exiles. Check it out. 1 Peter 1, 1. Just right there in verse 1. 1 Peter 1, 1. Here it is. Did I not put that slide in? I may not have. Oh, I did. Okay. It would not be, it would not be uh, unheard of for me to forget a slide. Uh, to God's elect, exiles scattered. Paul, from the beginning of the letter, notes that they are spiritual exiles. They're not home yet. They're not settled in. They haven't, they haven't, they've not, they've not come to the end of their journey. Because the end of the journey, where they receive an inheritance, isn't in this world, it's in heaven. If you remember, just a few verses after he launches the letter by calling them exiles, another way of saying foreigners, in this world, he said this, and we settled on this for quite a while. He says this in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 1. In his great mercy, he, that's the Father, has given us new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This is not where our story ends. We have an inheritance that never goes away. We have that in heaven. And ultimately, it will come to fruition in the new heavens and the new earth. So Peter is constantly reminding them of who they are. They are a people who live as foreigners. Which means, don't settle in. As if this is the end of your story. You can have the biggest 401k in the world. And you're not taking it with you. That's not your inheritance. 2008, many of you probably experienced. You probably experienced the thing that was never supposed to go away. Go away. Either your home value dropped or your 401k tanked. And it will happen again. Because our inheritance isn't here. We're living as another word we could use is we're living as pilgrims. And so we should never just settle in as if this is the end. And so Peter Peter reminds them of that. And with that, with that understanding that as you live as foreigners, as not really settling into this world being the end of your story, as the last stop, as you live as the spiritual exiles in this world, you gotta do something. You live it. In reverent fear. You live it in reverent fear. This is really big. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to now dig on that. Because when Peter says fear, he's tapping into this much larger biblical theme of the fear of God. Now you might just think, well, reverent fear doesn't really reference the fear of God that we see uh, talked about all over the Bible. Well, this is where context matters. So there's another place in the letter where he actually refers to fear again. Chapter 2, verse 17, look at what he says. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Fear God. That right there is a hyperlink to dozens and dozens of Old Testament passages about the fear of the Lord. So when Peter talks about reverent fear, fearing God, he's tying into this much larger tradition among the Israelites, and now something we pick up on that is, that is sprinkled throughout the Scriptures where there is the call to God's people to fear the Lord. Now, I'm just picking a smattering of Scriptures. Here's one very famous one, probably one of the most well-known. Proverbs 9, verse 10. We're reading this out of the English Standard Version. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You want wisdom? You start with the fear of the Lord. 
Now, this doesn't mean you fear the Lord because He's mean. It's because He's quite powerful. And so we fear Him because He's majestic, He's holy, He's completely other, and yet He is close. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? You begin with the fear of the Lord. Okay, here's another one. Book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. That whole book of Ecclesiastes is trying to figure out what is the meaning of life. I mean, that question's been with us for a very long time. What is the meaning of life? What's your life good for? Why are you here? Why do these things happen? Is it all meaningless? And the end of the book, the writer ends with this. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Fear God. And keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You stand before someone that can judge every single thing, hidden or visible, you probably are going to come with some reverent fear. You want to know what the meaning of life is? It is to fear God and keep His commands. That's the meaning of life according to the writer of Ecclesiastes. Now sometimes, sometimes there's this idea, there's this perception, maybe you've heard it, that the Old Testament is all about the God who is angry and mad and, and really wrathful. But then you come over to the, Old Testament, the New Testament and you get Jesus and He's like really sweet and nice and full of love. Like He carries teddy bears around and gives them out to kids. Like It's Jesus, nice and sweet. Never talking about judgment or wrath. Well, that's just not true. So I figured we would disabuse ourselves of that uh, myth by giving you this last one, this last text. Here, here, from the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 10, verse 28, we'll read this out of the English Standard Version. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is meek and mild Jesus. Now, Jesus has a very healthy understanding of reality. That His Father in Heaven is one to be feared. Not because He's mean, but because He's powerful. And when you get that close to something that powerful, you come to it with great awe and respect. The great thing about the God of Israel, the God of, the, of Jesus Christ, the God we worship, is that He is both powerful and yet full of mercy. But man, we don't ever want to emphasize the mercy to the point we forget who He is. He is the God that will not, that will not suffer sin in His presence. He is. We are to fear. This is what Jesus says. So let me take those three scriptures and summarize it this way. It's how I wanted to write it up. Here's what I want to say. It is necessary to recognize that God is, an, is ultimate and we are not. We are so tempted to think that we are at the center of the universe. But when we see reality, that God is God and He is immensely powerful and good, we stand and tremble. We see that there is a hierarchy in the world and we are not at the top. God is. This is where wisdom starts. That's where wisdom starts. Take a, take a, take a cadet in basic training and have him walk in, walk into the barracks and start and start uh, barking orders. He will quickly learn reality. Wisdom is to understand the order of basic training. If you understand the order of basic training, you'll make it through. And you'll do just fine. You go in not understanding the hierarchy, 
you will quickly, you will quickly slam right into reality. That reality will probably look like a lot of push-ups, a lot of miles. It'll look like a lot of yelling. It'll just be, it'll look like a lot of misery. This is the same thing with every human being. You are not God. No matter how much you know, you read, how many degrees you have, you are not God. You are not ultimate. I am not the center of the universe. Do you know what, you know, one of the great problems in our home, my home, is I, I, I try to be the center of the universe. I will, sh- I, you look into our home and see where problems start. Someone in our house is trying to be the center of the universe. Sometimes it's Micah. Sometimes Micah tries to be the center of the universe. Sometimes Ryland does. You know, you get the picture. Is it, when, when one of us tries to be the center of the universe, there will always be problems. When you try to be the center of the universe, you will, you will have problems. So we, we live as foreigners in this world with reverent fear. Now, if that was all that Peter had to say here, we'd move on to the next verse. But he's got this thing that we haven't looked at yet. He's got this one highlight that he brings out that tells us why we should live in reverent fear. Not just because he's majestic and powerful and he is ultimate goodness, he's the center of the universe. There's actually this one, there's this one thing he highlights. It's all part of the package, but it's the thing he highlights, and it's that thing that is the reason they should live in reverent fear. It's the thing he wants to highlight about the fear of the Lord. Check it out. It comes right before what we just looked at. The, a father, it's a father who judges each person's work impartially. Now, this one starts to make us a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Wait a minute. I thought in Jesus there's no condemnation for anyone in Christ. Like, what's this, what's this talk about judgment that... that that Peter's referring to. Well, there, there, we need to just acknowledge that the Christians. So he is talking to people who are safely secure in Christ. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. He is talking to believers. So the question is, what is the judgment believers will receive? And particularly, what is Peter talking about when he talks about the Father who judges each person? Uh, judge each person's work impartially. Well, there's really two interpretations. There's two options that commentators will land on here. So the first is this. Here's one option. That Peter is referring to the end when God will judge the works of every believer, not for salvation, but rewards. Okay? So there's, there is this teaching in the New Testament that when we die, we will, we will be judged a judgment that says, do you get into heaven or not? No, we're secure in Christ. It is all of your works will be judged because there is some level of rewards. Now listen, heaven's going to be great. The new creation, the new heavens, it's going to be awesome. It will be where the glory of God is, is the light for all people. It will be goodness. None of us are going to go, none of us are going to be envious of others because some have other rewards and some don't. And I don't have a clue what the rewards are. I just know I'm probably getting more than Don. That's all I know. Okay? And I know for sure Amy is getting more than all of us. Um, Wayne's not here, Don. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, okay, okay. <laughs> but let's take a look. Just one passage. It's a little longer, but I want you to see that this, that this interpretation of what Peter's saying isn't coming out of nowhere. Check out what P, uh, Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians. He says this. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we already have, Jesus Christ. So, foundation, Jesus. 
Here he goes. Anyone who builds on the foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show a person's work, if a, a, a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So there are things we can do in life that have no value or actually have bad value. And when, when we put that into the presence of God, it will be wiped away. And it will not last. Hence, when Jesus talks about storing up what in heaven? Your treasures in heaven. Store up things that have eternal value. Okay. So there's this piece that we will be judged and, and our rewards will be determined in that judgment. Not our salvation, but our reward. Now we can say a lot more about rewards, but that's not the point I, I'm trying to drive at, nor what Peter's trying to say here, ultimately. Here's the other interpretation. It's this. I actually think this is the one closer to what Peter's saying in this passage. I think it's this interpretation. Peter's referring to God's discipline of his children in this life. That, that God is actually will discipline his children. That's a form of judgment. Now, we think judgment, again, we think hellfire and brimstone. No, the word here is literally a, a, um, is referring to this level of this uh, kind of discipline. At least that's this, what this interpretation would drive us to. Another reason that we think this could be what Peter's referring to is because when he says judges, it's actually in the present tense. So literally it is the father who is judging. Right now is judging, which fits more the discipline piece, uh, the discipline interpretation. Now, where in the world of the Bible do we hear or see God discipline his children all over the place? But there's this one passage in Hebrew, the Hebrew, the Hebrew writer says this. Very instructive. Hebrews 12, 9 through 10. There's a lot more in this chapter. I've just taken these two verses. We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. I just want to read that again. Just for fun, maybe. Just for fun. Just for fun. We all have human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. If anyone's listening online without watching that or has no idea who's sitting up front, it would just be, just no one will know what's going on. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in what? His holiness. It's almost like these Christians got together and they had the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and things tied together from different passages to different passages where they actually united in what they were saying. Isn't that something? So the Father disciplines us so we can share in His holiness. Interesting that Peter just said before this that we are to be holy as God is holy. And now talking about that God is the Father who is judging us. So what this tells us is that you just can't get away with things because you think you've got God duped. You're not duping God. I'm not duping God. God will work with us. So if you've got a bunch of junk in your life and making bad decisions, God will have a way of disciplining you. Not because He doesn't like you or He wants to like put you down, but because sometimes it's discipline 
that is to get us closer to His holiness. That means sometimes suffering is for our good. Interestingly, we're going to go there eventually in this letter. Peter will talk a lot about suffering and suffering for our good. And we do it for His glory. Okay. So no matter which interpretation you take, though, this is the big point. One scholar says this. He says this. Membership in God's family, great privilege though it is, must not lead to the presumption that disobedience will pass unnoticed or undisciplined. I feel like sometimes we Christians get that way. We think that as, as long as we got our salvation locked in, then we can just go about our merry way doing whatever we want. No, no. You have been called to be obedient for Jesus. That's First Peter 1-2. You have been called to be holy as He is holy. Verses 14-16. And here, to live in reverent fear. That's what you've been called to. You just can't slide through hidden from God's sight. He is the God of the universe who will reveal all things hidden and visible. And it will be judged. Not because He's mean, but because He loves you. But we live in reverent fear. Now, this sets the stage now for Peter to say what he wants to say in verse 18. He's going to now go back to what he's been doing for the verses at the start of the chapter, and he's going to remind them again. Here's who you are. Verse 18. Verse 18, he says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, from your ancestors. Just two things I want to highlight there. Uh, did I put this, screen, this slide up? Yes. Redeemed. You have been purchased at great price. Actually, you've been purchased by something that is much more valuable than gold or silver. We'll deal with that next week. He says this. You've been redeemed this. You've been purchased from an empty way of life. Okay? Now, there's some logic here. And I just want to make one point on the logic uh, that Peter is trying to to, to, um, to spell out for us. When you are living away from God, when you're living in ignorance of God, when you're following your desires and letting them go wherever they take you, you're living a useless life. A life that will come to nothing. There will probably be lots of enjoyment. There could be lots of money. There may be some prestige. But in the end, you are not taking it with you and it will not last. It will burn up in the holiness of God. You, do you understand this? So, so, if you are living away from God, then be about living however you want. It makes sense. If you have no boundaries, then go live. But it is an empty way of life. It will leave you empty. If you give your life to your idols, in the end, you know what they do? They'll take your life from you. Okay. But if you have been called, if you've been redeemed, if you've been brought into the family of God, well, now you live on someone else's terms. You now live in a new relationship. That's exactly what Peter's saying. He's bringing out the logic, the salvation logic. Because you've been redeemed and you are a child of God, a people that call on God, you live a certain way. Because it's not just your life anymore. But if you live... In the ignorance given to you by your ancestors will then be about the business of living an empty way of life. But for Christians, that just doesn't happen to be the option. So we live because we've been redeemed. And how were you redeemed? It was God's initiative. You didn't save yourself. God did. So that's, that's the thing holding verse 17 and 18 together. 
we live a particular way because of, the, uh, because of who God is. A one to be feared because of His immense goodness and majesty. And don't you forget, you live that way because you don't, it's not just your life anymore. He gave you your life through Jesus. Okay. Man, that's a lot to bite off in just a few minutes. So let's make some application. So now that we understand the Scripture, we just kind of, what does it look like in our life? I got one question, just, just one for us. Here it is. Here's the question I'm asking. What am I doing to keep the reality of God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus, in front of my mind in daily life? And I'm talking about real life. You know me at this point. My biggest pet peeve is when pastors talk. Talk in such a way as if religion is something way out there. As if the Bible is something that deals with something way out over here. No, all of this deals with your real life. I mean, when you get up, when you get the kids ready, when you have a boring day at work, when you hate your boss, all of it, all of it comes into the presence of God. That's what the Bible is, is giving us a vision of, a life in the presence of God. So what are you doing to put God in front of your mind? Because you and I are going to put something in front of your, our mind. I mean, it just isn't, this isn't just an accident. We've created habits to put certain stuff in front of our mind. I have heard it said that Jonathan Edwards said this. I don't never read it. If, if, the, if the great American pastor of the 1700s actually said this. I know I could have Googled it, but here's what uh, I have been told. He said that we are to stamp eternity on our eyelids. Stamp eternity on our eyelids. So that literally eternity is always in sight. I love the image. So this is something you and I are going to have to deal with. What are you doing to put the reality of God in front of your mind each day? You will put something in front of. And I'm not saying you have to be like uber Bible students. Like, you've got to walk around with your Bible open all day. Hey, what are you doing? I'm reading the Bible. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having an understanding that God is with you. That this, this is not the final stop. Just keeping eternity stamped on the eyelids. What does that look like? Okay, so I'm going to give you a few resources. This is all I want to do. I just want to give you some resources. These resources are on our website and they're hyperlinked. So you can click and go to them. They're under resources. They're called study resources, okay? But I want to give you a few. Literally, you and I can do this in daily life. And it doesn't take all day. Take on 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes. Start with something. Okay, here it is. Here's one resource. Um... Read the Bible daily. Use a Bible plan. There's a Bible plan called Bible Recap. Some of us here at the church are using that Bible plan right now. But just find a Bible plan and read it each day. You want an easy one? Read a chapter of Proverbs a day. So today is the 10th. Read Proverbs chapter 10. You know how many chapters are in Proverbs? 31. You'll read through Proverbs 12 times a year. Now I know for some of you that are very technical, that means on day 30, months with only... 30 days, you read chapter 31 on day 30. I know, I know some of you. Well, there's some months there. 31, 30 days. Okay, got it. Let's keep going. Here it is. Use Christian apps on your phone. I'm just giving you a few. Lectio 365 is an app. Pray As You Go is an app. The YouVersion Bible is an app. And RefNet is an app. RefNet, by the way, will give you sermons. It'll give you scripture and give you music 24 hours a day. Literally, it's like a radio station. You just click on it and you catch whatever's, whatever they're playing. All right? 
Here's another thing. Uh, listen to Christian theology podcasts. Now, I put theology to make it sound really important. But what this means is it's going to be seeping you in the Scriptures. But any of us can do this. So if you like podcasts, listen to Ask Pastor John. This is John Piper, uh, his podcast. And let me tell you, he, he takes questions from people and he answers them biblically. And I'm telling you, if you can think of a question, someone's probably asked it. Um, but Ask Pastor John. Renewing your mind with R.C. Sproul. This is a great one. It's like 20 minutes. And then Truth for Life with Alistair Begg. It's another good one. He's Scottish, by the way. Alistair Begg is Scottish. So he just sounds smart just because of his accent. So, and, and then maybe you're like me. I feel smart when I listen to people with an accent. I'm like, I'm listening to this British person. I'm listening to a Scottish person. Man, I must be smart. I must know the Bible more now because I listen to this guy. But listen, these are just some resources for you. Let me give you another idea of how to keep eternity stamped on your eyelids. Write scripture on sticky notes and post them around your house, your car, and your workspace. I mean, really, it's just that easy. Like, Jesus wept. Put it on your... Put it on your mirror at home. Now, I think that you might find another one. But just start with something so that you are constantly seeing Scripture. That will be a reminder that this isn't your home, and it will keep God, the reality of God, in front of your mind. And then one more. Come to worship in person as much as you can. There is something to say about being in person. Now, I understand we are still in the middle of this COVID thing, and there are some that do not feel comfortable with the risk of being in the room, or some that have uh, health issues that they are not ready to come back in person. But I'm saying if you can come in person, then come in person as much as you can. If you get to work, if you can get to work on Monday morning or whenever you are scheduled to work, then you can make it to Sunday morning if you're not working or on vacation. I get that. Please understand. I understand there are reasons why people cannot come or they have other obligations. But what I'm saying is do not treat church as optional. If you do, it will just slide away. And you can't overestimate the importance of hearing God's Word in person, singing with other believers, praying together, literally seeing people. Do not overestimate how important that is. You want to keep God in front of you? Just try once a week. Come to church. Alright. Here's our next step. We'll make this one quick. Add one specific thing to your daily life to keep God in front of you. I just gave you a lot of options. Just pick something. Pick something. Put a reminder on your phone and it just comes up every day at a certain time. Maybe a scripture. Whatever you do, just do something to keep God in front of your mind. I know people that will put a daily devotion in their car and they'll pull into work. And before they go into work, they'll pull that out of their glove compartment. They'll read it, put it back five minutes later, and they go into work. And that's a great start. The point is, do something. Add something to your life this week. Okay? That's the point. And when we do that, you've got a much better chance of living in reverent fear of the God who is immensely powerful and ultimately good and who sits at the top of the hierarchy. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for us as a church, as a people, as individuals, but even as a body, and even those that are with us uh, virtually right now, that we would be a people who live in reverent fear of You, God the Father, who judges every person's works impartially. You have redeemed us from an empty way of life. And may we live in such a way that reflects You being holy as You are holy. 
And help us do that in a way that is very, very practical, like right where we live. We cannot live holy wherever we do not live. So help us in our workplaces, our living rooms, our kitchens, our bedrooms, driving on the road, wherever we find ourselves, living as foreigners in reverent fear. And so pray that under the power of Jesus, make that possible. And together we say, Amen.